0: You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky, a congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ Tradition. We are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice. But from time to time, you'll find guest preachers on this podcast, too. Thanks for listening. I must confess, I have a bit of trepidation preaching on Ocean Sunday. As many of you know, I was born in the Midwest, in southern Illinois. There was not an ocean in sight. I did, as a young child, ride a car ferry across Lake Michigan, and that felt like the ocean to me at that age. It wasn't until I was 12 that I first saw the Atlantic, and a year later, the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Southern California. But it was not until much later that oceans became a regular part of my life. In 1994... I first became a resident of a state with a coastline, and I still remember, I shared in our small group, I still remember Labor Day weekend of 1994, having just driven from Louisville, Kentucky, all the way to Eugene, Oregon, in a U-Haul, standing at the beach in Florence, Oregon, and being completely... Blown away and mesmerized by the beauty and the ruggedness that was the Oregon coast. And I will tell you this, having lived in both Oregon and Washington State since then, the Oregon coast is my favorite. Partly because all of the beaches are publicly owned. There are no private beaches in Oregon. Back in the 1960s, the state passed a law extending public lands from the waves of the ocean all the way to the vegetation line of the beaches. And I tell you, that makes all the difference in the world and how you experience a coastline. Oceans make up 71% of the planet's surface with over half of those waters, more than 98% hundred feet in depth. The deep sea plains of the oceans count for half of the Earth's surface, and it's so hard to wrap our minds around the reality that the ocean deep contains 95% of all the space available for life on Earth. It produces half of the oxygen we breathe. It's been eight years since the Malaysian aircraft MH370 disappeared over the Indian Ocean. You may remember that. The search dragged on, and as it did, we learned just how little we know about the ocean. As of 2021, only 23% of of the world's ocean floor has been mapped. And for the Indian Ocean at the time of that rescue, major sections of the Indian Ocean were mapped only from data collected 100 years earlier when the technology consisted of dropping a weighted line over the side of a ship and measuring the distance to the the ocean's floor. The process of searching for missing aircraft, that missing aircraft actually led to the discovery of unrecorded volcanoes on the ocean floor. Since then the Seabed 2030 project has been launched and they talk about it as a crowd-sourced Google Maps of the ocean floor. It would take a thousand years for one ship alone to map the ocean using today's technology. But this project is crowdsourcing data from fishing, merchant, and recreational vessels, and each year they're posting updated mappings on their website for the public to view. The ocean in its vastness, in its otherworldliness, its depths, those are all barriers for us to understand it. And make it a place in many ways unknown for us. And that's a problem. As a Singhalese environmentalist, Baba Diem, declared, we won't save places we don't love, and we can't love places we don't know, and we don't know places we haven't learned. And the ocean is one of those places. We as inhabitants of this planet need to do better to learn our landscape, both land on earth and land underneath the waters. Often we fall into two options when we think about the oceans. Some of us romanticize the seas. Maybe we imagine a cozy cottage on the beach and we're captured by its profound beauty And then when we come back home from the ocean, what do we do? We set the sound machine to ocean waves and pretend we're still there. The flip side, though, of romanticizing the ocean is fearing it. And there's so much unknown, and the oceans are so fiercely powerful, it's easy to fear. We are now thoroughly in hurricane season, with the first-named hurricane this week, Danielle... Relatively stationary in the North Atlantic, strengthening before turning probably even further north. And scientists say that this is an unusual event, primarily just because of how far north Danielle is. In fact, it's one of the farthest northeast locations in modern record-keeping of hurricanes. It's expected that Tropical Storm Earl will be the next one to graduate to a hurricane, Both of those, thankfully, are predicted to stay over the ocean and not threaten landfall, although Earl may bring increased rain and storms to areas around Puerto Rico. According to meteorologists, hurricanes and tropical storms need three main things to develop. They need warm warm water, a vertical wind shear, and a moist, unstable atmosphere. So far this season, the atmosphere has been relatively dry, which may keep the number of storms a bit lower, but predictions for this season are for still another above normal level of activity, with up to 14 to 20 storms predicted to be named as the level of hurricane. Last year, there were 21 hurricanes named, and in 2020, there was a record-breaking 30. Data from the last four decades reveals an alarming trend of stronger hurricanes. Because the ocean temperatures have warmed, the likelihood of a hurricane rising to a Category 3 or higher has increased about 8% during each of the last four decades. And Category 3 hurricanes, for those of us who don't know the top of our heads what that means, is a sustained wind greater than 110 miles per hour. Humans have long feared the ocean's power and the depths of the oceans as well. In many places in scripture, we find the oceans and deep waters are depicted as places of chaos and danger, deadly places foreboding and foreign. But thankfully, these are not the only ways the Bible imagines the ocean. And in our time, I think we would do well to explore these alternative visions of the seas as we rework our understandings of the vast network of ocean waters. As people of faith, we can embrace these compelling and life-giving images of the oceans, and I think we must do so if we have any chance of creating a different future for ourselves and for our planet. Our psalm for the day, Psalm 104, is one such biblical resource. The psalmist imagines the world as intimately connected to God with an ongoing relationship rich and vast in its scope. Yes, fundamentally the psalm declares God to be the source of life, of sustenance, of renewal and even a breath for living creatures writing quote you withdraw their breath and they perish I will freely admit to you that this is one of my favorite Psalms especially because of the line that tripped Sarah up just a little bit this sea great and wide the psalmist writes where creatures beyond number stir the little beast and the large there the ship goes This leviathan you fashion to play with. It's that last line that catches my imagination because the psalmist moves beyond the usual divine creation relationships and offers this wonderful imagery of God creating the mighty sea monster leviathan so that God would have a playmate. This is certainly not the traditional way we think of God relating to creation, but just stay with that image for a moment. God delights in creation, enjoys spending time with a sea monster, a monster that inspired fear in humans for generations. What might a divine playdate with Leviathan look like? Can you imagine it? This God of the psalmist is not somewhere out there removed from the world, but is intimately connected in relationship with creation. And creation here is not a one-time event in the past. Rather, God is continuing to create in wisdom and goodness and in hope for the future. Even as in the very beginning when God created and saw that it was good, the psalmist in verse 31 of Psalm 104 declares that God rejoices in God's works. Here we find that God delights in the earth, and in return, creation rejoices in God as well. A few years ago, Pope Francis, in a message encouraging Christians to care for the ocean, stated, quote, creation is a project of love given by God to humanity. Our solidarity with the common home is born from our faith, end quote. And we are, in many ways, failing at this sacred project. In July of this year, UNESCO published its latest State of the Oceans report, documenting some of the challenges threatening the oceans, including warmer and more acidic waters, rising sea levels, marine pollution, overfishing, and a steep, steep decline in marine biodiversity. The trends are clear, and the outlooks are discouraging. But I, for one, want to share stories of hope, because I need them, and I hope you need them too. I found one such story this week from the Oregon Public Broadcasting. And the Northwest has this long history of dam building. That's how you get cheap uh, energy in the Northwest. You block up all the water. And more recently, they've been exploring ways of reducing the harm of dams on wildlife, sometimes removing those dams entirely and the entire Northwest watches in amazement as wildlife and landscape returns when dams are removed. But this story that I read last week was from the Oregon's North Umpqua River, where 10 years ago they installed a salmon ladder to assist salmon in traveling past one dam, the Soda Springs Dam as they return to their traditional spawning grounds. Now, salmon ladders, if you haven't seen one, are amazing. And they usually make them so that you can come and observe what's happening. So there'll be a glass wall on one side. And you can see the salmon as they jump up the steps, making their way back to where they will spawn. But this summer... In addition to all of those frisky salmon jumping through the water, the first Pacific lamprey ill made its way up the ladder since the ladder was installed in 2012. And unlike the salmon who just power swim and jump their way back, the lamprey has to suction itself on the glass wall and move upwards and back. Now, lamprey may not be as exciting as salmon or orcas or dolphins, and admittedly, they are not the cutest of creatures. But Pacific lampreys are an imperiled species in the Northwest, partly because they spend five years in the river sediment as they are adolescents. They're filter feeding there before they make their way into the ocean. And the pollutions in the river as well as rising water temperatures in the river make that early life and development difficult. The lamprey are culturally important first food for some of the Northwest indigenous peoples. The Umpqua tribe of Indians traditionally eats lamprey either dried or smoked. The oils from the eels are used as moisturizers for hair and skin. And the lamprey is also used in traditional medicines. There's one story that the dried lamprey is a soothing food for teething infants, if you can imagine that. Currently, because of their endangered status, the tribe hasn't harvested lampreys in this river for a very long time. The theologian and biblical scholar Ched Myers pushes Christians to ask the question, how might we recenter our identity in a topography of creation rather than in a dominant cultural political ideation? In other words, can we imagine our discipleship lived out with a renewed understanding of our groundedness to the earth, this patch of earth on which we live? Grounded not in political lines or districts or states or counties, but reimagined as rooted in watersheds in which we and our neighbors live. What would faithful living look like if we recognized our deep connection to the water underneath our feet? And in truth, there is a vital interconnectedness to our water systems. It was easier for me when I lived in the Northwest to see the network of waters of which I was a part. The storm drain in the alley right next to my home in Washington bore the markings of the city that every storm drain did, which read, only rain down the drain, Puget Sound starts here. Reducing pollution runoff from the hard surface areas is a major focus of coastal states, but it's not just a coastal issue. I confess it's easier to see one's connections to the ocean when you live in a place where the salmon make their way back to spawn in the rivers and creeks that run through your city. I get that. It's harder to visualize how the waters of Triplet Creek or the living river flow in Licking River, flow into the Ohio River Basin, down through the lower Mississippi River Basin and into the Gulf of Mexico. That's harder for us to wrap our minds around. But what happens to the waters where we live here affects the health of ocean waters too. Nutrient and pollution runoff moves through this network of waterways to the Gulf where algae blooms decompose and form dead zones that affect the health and vitality of the Gulf and beyond. It's vital that we rethink our relationship to the earth and its waters to listen to the words of Pope Francis that creation is a project of love given by God to humanity. Christians can and should be leading the way on this. Our very own Wendell Berry argues that no place on the earth can be completely healthy until all places are. But he goes on to say, quote, the question that must be addressed is not how to care for the planet, but how to care for each of the planet's millions of human and natural neighborhoods, each of its millions of small pieces and parcels of land, each one of which is in some precious way different from all the others. In other words, to care for the world's oceans, we must start with our own watershed, to repent of the ways we have neglected the health of the waters here in Rowan County, and to commit ourselves to treat our watershed as sacred gift once again. Wendell Berry reminds us, there are no unsacred places, there are only sacred places and desecrated places. Whether the places are covered in concrete or homes or neighborhoods or giant greenhouses or wildernesses, each and every place is sacred, worthy of reclaiming if they have been desecrated. Nowadays, much of the talk of the conditions of the oceans is transactional in nature. Think of the concept of the oceans as a carbon sink, which absorbs and stores carbon from the atmosphere, or what has also been called recently blue carbon reserves. That sounds like a business major's title, um, phrase. No offense to business majors. Now, researchers are exploring how the warming of ocean waters and the increased acidification might affect the abilities of our oceans to absorb carbon. And issues of overfishing and its adverse effects on marine carbon cycle are sobering as well. The harsh truth is if we harm the oceans, we ultimately harm ourselves. Now, if that's what it takes to bring about change, to focus on how our actions or inactions hurt the environment and by extension hurt humans, we definitely should be making those arguments. But for people of faith, that's not enough. It goes deeper. Because we have been given a theological framework which can allow us to tap into a deeper and wiser theological underpinning For this work of caring for creation. If, and I do mean if, we dismantle destructive views of creation as existing only for the sake of humankind or as an existential threat meant to be subdued or mastered for our benefit, if we can dismantle that and recover instead a rich understanding of creation and our place in it, embracing the biblical image of a God who delights in the earth and its creatures, we may yet have a chance. Jacques Cousteau, the famed explorer and the powerful voice for the oceans and the environment, once said, This is our hope, that the children born today may have a bit of green grass under their bare feet, A breath of clean air to breathe, a patch of blue water to sail upon, and a whale on the horizon to set them dreaming. That's a vision of the earth in keeping with our faith, with our creator, God's dream of shalom on the earth for all living creatures. So may it be so. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.